Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut. And I'm Ara. Every week, we interview thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics, or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales. We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever, yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. It's www.saleslabs.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. So welcome everyone to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. So today's guest and topic will be super interesting because it's something different than what we always, you know, talk about. Um, so today I'm welcoming Laura Moniz de Aragao, sorry, who's like VP Revenue and Growth at Nudge. Uh, so Laura, welcome to the show. Hi everyone. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Really well. How about yourself? Doing great, doing great, doing fantastic. So I'm super happy to have you on the show. Um, you know, we met already like uh, a few weeks ago uh, through LinkedIn uh, and also through your husband who I interviewed um, on the show too. So it's yeah. like, a, you know, like you're the SaaS marriage. I think that's your hashtag. Uh, that's it. So yeah, happy keep, to keeping it in the family. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, before we dive in the topic, can you just maybe present yourself, tell a bit more about you and yeah, who you are? Of of course. So yeah, I mean, you've already done the introduction, VP Revenue Growth at Nudge. Uh, so that means I own the revenue channels across client success, sales and our channel partnerships. Mm-hmm. I guess for those that don't know who Nudge is, we are a series A software as a service fintech companies and we sell to global enterprise organizations, the likes of Facebook, Santander, mm-hmm. to help them take financial care of either their employees um, or their customers. So that's, I guess, you know, where I am today. In terms of who am I, um, I've not had the most conventional route, I think it's fair to say, into technology SaaS selling. Um, 12 years ago, I uh, went from being a ballerina into the world of sales, so quite literally uh, pirouette to pitching. <laughs> um, and I think the relevance for that really is that that was where I first experienced imposter syndrome, which I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to too shortly but um yeah I guess in in terms of then my credibility on this conversation so when I made that transition I started my sales roots as an SDR Mm -hmm. um, and grew my career from an SDR to where I am today I worked at a company called Thompson's who were a SaaS company in the HR technology space and went from SDR to VP of sales in a quick progression of time and whilst in sales leadership roles at that organization, scaled the revenue from 15 to 40 mil mm-hmm. and actually saw the business through a multiple series of funding rounds right the way through to the acquisition uh, mm-hmm. where we were sold for 350 million to the big uh, consultancy Mercer Marsh McClelland. So, yeah, hopefully that's given you a bit of a background on me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super interesting. And so today we will talk about like growth mindset in sales and uh, like self-limiting limiting belief and the framework you have for that. Uh, but before we go in, into that, so you said that you, you, you went from SDR to VP of sales really quickly. And um, for a lot of people who are starting as SDR, they often wonder how you do these kind of jumps. So can you maybe uh, share like what's your experience there? What, what are the things that made uh, you like compared to all the other SDRs uh, becoming this, this VP of sales? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting because I think, you know, the SDR role, if we roll back 12 years, was very different, right? You know, we had none of these fancy cadences, none of that. It was pretty much me and my telephone. Mm -hmm. um, but I did start my career as an SDR in 2008. Um, and for those listeners that were old enough, that was obviously another financial, big financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And so selling in that time was particularly tough. And I think what that gave me, also just in my dance career, it gave me that resilience mm -hmm. and it gave me that you know, complete resilience to always never, you know, never take no as an answer. So I think that was one thing about the time that I started my career in uh, that really set me up for success. Because if you could sell in a, in a market crash and a market downturn, you can do pretty well when the market's um, hot again. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, if you'd have asked me this, a few years back, I'd have probably given you the answer, oh, it was probably right place, right time, or luck, or fluke. But I think over the years, you know, and, and finding my skin in my 30s, you know, I've, I've come to realize and appreciate that actually it was sheer hard work, determination, and talent. Mm -hmm. um, and I distill it down for, for those that are SDRs or, you know, junior AEs that are looking at, you know, growing their career. I distill it down for, for me for three things. The first really was laser focus. Mm -hmm. So I've never looked too far ahead in my career. I've always just focused on the job in hand and mm -hmm. being the absolute best at that job and allowing them progression to take its natural course. And this focus, this laser focus meant I've never been distracted. So whether it be an SDR or an individual contributor role, my job, my focus was to simply be top of that leaderboard and smash my quota year on year. So that'd be the first thing, my laser mm -hmm. focus. I think the second thing was my sales mindset. So I've never really looked at selling as simply a transaction. I think even in my early SDR days, I thought about it in the context of how can I make this company more successful? Mm -hmm. And this actually removed the pressure um, and helped me act as an extension of that buyer's team. Uh, so that was a really important thing I learned very early on. And then the last thing is about outselling the competition, um, you know, particularly, I guess, in an individual contributor role. But I have this motto of fail to prepare, mm -hmm. prepare to fail. And I de-risk everything in my life. Um, my husband can quote to that in terms of being a slight control freak. Uh, that's probably for another podcast. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, in, in the world of sales, I would meticulously deal prep. I developed my own deal prep framework. You know, we used Medic uh, back mm -hmm. at my old place, but I developed my own version of that that I felt meticulously. Basically, I became a sales detective. Mm -hmm. I would probe, I would essentially know everything about those stakeholders, where they went to uni. Um, I would read their annual report back to front, knowing often more about their business and them than they did. Mm -hmm. um, so just having that absolute knowledge, being able to outsell the competition. And the second thing about outselling the competition is going above and beyond. So for me, I think effort is a great indicator of interest. Mm -hmm. And for example, I remember selling to Tesco. So for those of, that aren't in the UK, Tesco is probably our, our biggest uh, grocery retail um, store here in the UK. And it was a 350,000 seat deal worth about 2 million in okay. ARR. And at the final pitch, you know, it was a very competitive pitch. You know, we all had all the providers had to come in and do their final pitch. At the final pitch, I did some little touches that made the difference to win that deal. I printed the agenda for the meeting on the Tesco uh, store, a till receipt. And so oh, when nice. everyone came in, they had their till receipt agenda. 
the follow-up um, of the materials I actually did on a Tesco club store card, a little mm -hmm. USB store card. And also as part of the preparation for the pitch, I went and interviewed some people that worked at Tesco. So I brought a huge amount of personalization okay. to the pitch. So yeah, to summarize, I guess, you know, those would be my three things. Laser focus, don't, don't jump 10 roles ahead, just focus on the role in hand. Make sure that you've got that sales mindset of being an extension of the team rather than just this being a transaction mm -hmm. and just outsell your competition for, with effort and de-risking deals. Okay, I love that. I think it's it's super super interesting, and you know, it's um, yeah, that that's as you said, it's like a really strong work ethic, I'd say, and uh, and and maybe like it came from uh, because you were also like in your first career, uh, so you were also I guess super competitive. I saw you were in Broadway, right? You were dancing in front of basically the most <laughs> um, like uh, how to say demanding crowd. I'd say because people go for the show and they pay tons of money for that. So I guess that's why, where it's coming from. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, an, an arts background, you know, I felt very comfortable in an audition room. I, mm -hmm. I felt, you know, it was my whole life. I'd done it from, you know, age three. Uh, you know, my mom sending me to auditions for this, that and the other. And I felt very comfortable with rejection because mm -hmm. you have to be in an yeah. arts career, whether you're a dancer, an actor, a singer, you have to get pretty darn comfortable with the rejection. Yeah. Otherwise, you're on a, a thick skin. And I think that's helped me in sales as well. Um, I mean, I'm quite a positive person anyway, in a positive mindset, mm -hmm. um, but being able to bounce back. But that being said, you know, as, as per this conversation today, you know, I throughout my career, particularly when I did that move from ballet into business, absolutely have struggled with imposter syndrome. And that sometimes has hindered my mm -hmm. growth mindset. Okay. Okay. I see. Um, so before we dive into the imposter syndrome, um, I'd love to, to know a bit more about one thing you're famous for. So is earning 1 million pound commission before the age of 30. So that's, that's like, really, it's not, you know, I just want to clarify. It's not like you close the 1 million deal you made 1 million pounds of commission. So uh, I'd be curious to know about this, you know, how, how you've done that and uh, how you felt when you closed that deal. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, I don't know whether you have the saying, I don't know whether this is a UK saying, but you call, you call if, you, if you get to a million pound in commission payment, they call it you, you've received a brick. I don't okay. know whether that translates. They say you, do, you, you shot a whale when you do above 500 in okay. the US, but uh, receive a brick must be the, for the million. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, I mean, starting with how does I feel, I mean, yeah, come on. I mean, when you get that, when you get that paycheck in, it's life-changing, right? It really yeah. is life-changing. And it was interesting for me because at that point as well, in terms of my relationship with Enrique that I know you've, you've interviewed, he was very much in a product management role mm -hmm. at the time. And we, we were dating and then suddenly I'm getting this huge commission check and he was like, what the, obviously I won't swear on the yeah. podcast, um, <laughs> but he said, what the, and he was like, I need to transition into sales. Like, what am I doing? Um, so yeah, he then made a career move uh, from, from that commission check. But yeah, you know, it felt amazing. It was life changing. I was able to, you know, pay off my mortgage at the time and really have financial freedom mm -hmm. um, to then really understand where I wanted my career to go. Um, because no longer was it necessarily about earning loads of money, which it was, you know, I'll be honest in my 20s, it was about that. It was about earning commission, you know, spending that commission probably more than you've earned. And then finally, when you get to a million pounds in commission, you get that financial freedom yeah. to then set you up for your, you know, your later stage career to really think about what you want. 
in terms of how I did it, I'd go back to that answer I, I gave you really in terms of, you know, how I've been successful, whether it's an SDR or an AE, you know, that laser focus. When I, when I certainly earned that million pound commission check, I wasn't thinking about jumping into a sales leadership role. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, you know, I'd have people saying, or oh, do you want to step up and become like a player coach? Or do you want to become a ma- uh, team lead sales manager? For me, I hadn't mastered my craft yet. Mm-hmm. And until I got that a million pound commission check, it was a goal that I set myself, um, you know, a few years beforehand and said, until I get to that, I'm not going to jump to that next step. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I wasn't phased about getting into leadership. I just wanted to be the best individual contributor I could possibly, possibly be. And then I think obviously for people listening to this, it's finding companies where that's possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's not every company you work for, is it going to be possible to earn yeah. a million pounds in commission? Some, yeah. you might get that as a split between cash and equity, for example. Yeah. You might get paid out in a certain amount of stock. But in high growth, um, I was in a SaaS company where there's uncapped commission uh, because they want people to be selling lows because that then goes in tandem with how they're growing and the revenue scale of the overall business plan. Yeah. So yeah, look look out for companies where there's definitely uncapped commission yeah. um, and that have a fast growth trajectory where they're going to really put their focus and importance on hiring great sales talent. Yeah, yeah, that's super important. That's uh, I've lived the transition from a company that was uh, super high growth, then it got acquired by a private equity. And mm-hmm. then they were like, hey guys, your commission, just forget it. <laughs> exactly. And they were like, now we're going to try to squeeze as much as we can out of everything. So they, you can't do that. But it, it comes with different things. But so one thing that is interesting is, um, so you've made the, the ultimate kind of like uh, achievement, we could say in sales, like most people never never close that amount in one shot. Uh, but still, you told me like you, you, you're suffering sometimes from uh, imposter syndrome. So I'd love to know a bit more about that uh, and where it's coming from. Yeah, of course. I mean, I guess first thing to start is almost giving my definition, there's probably 10,000 definitions of what imposter syndrome actually is Mm -hmm. um so for me it's a general feeling of self-doubt uncertainty deceit despite clear proof to the contrary Mm -hmm. um and it was you know this this whole thing first came about in an article written by psychologists susan imes and pauline rose clance in the in the 1960s um and so yeah it's that just general feeling of you're not good enough essentially is what it's really talking about Mm -hmm. and I think like you said you know despite being one of the youngest revenue leaders in the UK I've earned a million commission in a single sales year under the age of 30 won awards I still get that inner monologue that still loves loves to tell me it's all a fluke Mm -hmm. and I'm not good enough Um, and so you know what I've had to do over the years is sort of develop a framework to help me when that little devil on my shoulder appears Mm -hmm. and it rears its ugly head to help to help me I guess challenge that um but I do think you know let's let's be honest in this conversation that it's hugely common Mm -hmm. um you know I'm sure I'm not alone um I think the stats you know there's again laser stats out there but 66% of women and slightly lower for men about 56% of men will experience it in the last 12 months alone Mm -hmm. so yeah uh, it is a hugely common thing, unfortunately. Yeah, that, that's actually that's something I've seen a lot. Um, and you know, you have these. Um, you know, th- there's one, one uh, example. So whenever I've seen a documentary about like uh, aerobatic pilots, 
-hmm. And you know, they have like, uh, this is something that has a super strong effect and it killed many pilots actually in competition because whenever you have this kind of a, a self-limiting thoughts and you say, okay, I'm not good enough, I'm not going to do it or, you know, then it starts becoming something that, um, how do you call that? So you basically visualize it and then it becomes real. Yeah. And so in the, this kind of case, preparation, mental preparation is super important because otherwise you can die, you know, and crash when you're doing this. And so this is something we all experience. Um, and I'm, I'd be curious to know, why do you think that's the case? Why do you think most people uh, experience that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think as we said from the stats, you know, I think we can all agree that imposter syndrome is hugely inclusive and it doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Sheryl Sandberg even admits to having it, right? Um, so I think there are a few things that can trigger imposter syndrome. It's interesting, the example that you give there is, is sort of my, my third point. But I'd say the first thing um, that can be a trigger is that it typically does manifest, and I'm, I'm broad brushing here, but in people that are striving for perfection, mm -hmm. high achievers, um, and also the more senior you get, the more it can intensify because you've got further to fall. Yeah. Um, so in, in that example, I guess, you know, that's a very intense moment, you know, winning that competition and there's quite a lot to lose. And so then the visualization in your brain starts to take over the negative thoughts. So that, yeah, that's the first thing I think it does typically manifest in perfectionists, people that are striving to achieve things and seniority, mm -hmm. but also not forgetting people's backgrounds. So I thoroughly believe in, in coaching um, and psychiatrists and just chatting uh, your thoughts through. And for me, it was interesting that my background played a lot into why I suffer from it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's about your family upbringing. So if, for example, you've been brought up in a family who valued high achievement and you would get super praise for high value achievements or potentially parents that flip flop back and forth between mm -hmm. praise and then super criticism, that can also drive your imposter syndrome. Yeah. And, you know, certainly from, I mean, I love my mum and dad to bits, but certainly from my childhood and my dancing um, days, you know, it was super competitive and they were super, super passionate about me succeeding. But, mm -hmm. you know, that also came to then manifest itself now into how I always strive for that and then start feeling anxious if I'm yeah. not good enough. So that's the second thing, your background. And I think the third thing is that it will most likely strike at moments of success or moments that really matter mm -hmm. in your life, those poignant moments. So in your example, you know, a, a major competition, it could be when you've got a, a new job, a new role, you've received an award or you've, I don't know, you've become a parent for the first time. Yeah. Major life moments where there's a lot at stake is also when it typically i think manifests and that's when people can suffer from it okay that's super interesting yeah it's uh you know it's it's something like i i also you know very often suffer from that um also okay. based on the performance i have but one thing i've noticed uh, and, and you know i'd say that's the uh whenever i have kids that's one thing i'll try to do so whenever i was uh, i was 15 so mm -hmm. I wanted to, to kind of like uh, do my pilot license. So just learn how to fly planes. I was passionate yeah. about that. And uh, I was asking my parents if they could pay for that. They say, no, <laughs> okay, so it's too expensive. So I said, no way. They say, but what you can do is work and try to, uh, to get that. And so my grandfather told me, what you should do is just go to the local airfield and you propose people to kind of like uh, clean planes, do whatever kind of uh, small work you can do so you can make a bit of money, be in contact with planes and then learn about that. And so I was like, whoa, that's a pretty cool idea. And yeah. at the time, I really, you know, I was super scared. So I just went there and I asked like the flight school, local flight school. And they say, yeah, 
uh, we're happy to give you money and you, you know you work like, I don't know, four hours a weekend. And this moment, you know, was defining for me when I was 15 because I realized that if I was putting in the work and, and asking, you know, and doing what everyone else would not do, you know, the outcome had like high chances of actually, you know, materializing. And so this is something that has repetitively uh, happened for me where I set my mind on something and I say, okay, I'm going to go and try it. It's, it sounds completely unrealistic. And then, you know, you do it and you're like, did I really do that? Yeah. And so that, that's something early on. This could be the educational tip that uh, I gave. I'm not a parent, but maybe helping, you know, people realize and kids realize very early that they can, you know, whatever they dream, they can, they can, you know, they can try it, at least try it. And then they'll understand how to reach, yeah. reach that. Yeah. I mean, trying it without, with, with sort of zero pressure. I think yeah. is the, is a key thing there. So yeah, absolutely try it. But there's zero pressure if you're going to like it, if you're going to be good at it. But give it a try. Yeah, yeah exactly. Love that story. And it's it's cool. And uh, the problem then you have is uh, for me is like I just try to do new things. So if I, <laughs> that's why I can't stay in a job. I have my own business because there's so much stuff, so many stuff to figure out. That that's that's what I love. But um, yeah. So so you also told me you've developed a framework. Seems like yes. you really like frameworks and 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 preparing, you know, like uh, and and you know, adapting to whatever happens to you in life. So can you tell me about this framework? Yeah, I will. And actually, I'm going to bring to life the story that you've just told us because one of the, one of my, I guess, steps in this in this framework is actually quite pertinent to what you've just told us. So, I mean, I've called it something which is uh, the unstoppable imposter confidence mm -hmm. ladder. So, yeah, the unstoppable imposter confidence ladder, and it's got three C's. Um, so hopefully easy to remember. Um, the first C is courage. So that means how do we lift our heads up out of the sand? So imposter syndrome, uh, it's most severe, can manifest into procrastination, mm -hmm. into that sort of, I'm just going to do nothing. It almost can get so bad that you just end up doing nothing at all. And that, that is at its most severe, right? Yeah. So step one is finding that inner strength to inhale the courage and exhale the fear. And I'm gonna sort of give you a practical example of how all of this fits together. So I'll just yeah. give you the practical first and then we'll do the example. So step one, find the courage. Step two of the C's is the conviction. So once we've found the courage, how can we convince ourselves, it's not about convincing others, convincing ourselves that we can succeed. And that is about we wanna focus on our strengths, not our weaknesses our superpowers instead of our problems. Mm -hmm. So that's the second one. So we've got find the courage and then you know, conviction, convince mm -hmm. yourself that you're good enough. Yeah. Then the third C is commitment. And commitment is that turning point in your life where you seize the moment and convert this imposter syndrome into an opportunity and change your destiny. And what that really means is that you're inviting your struggles in and committing to improve them. So that's the framework, mm -hmm. courage, conviction, commitment. So how do I actually use this? So courage. And I think if there's one thing that, you know, people hopefully take away for, from this podcast, it would be this. So for courage, the way that I find my courage when I'm feeling a bit, you know, imposter syndrome-y is I remember my I owe it to moment. So for me, I had my I owe it to moment where I first, you know, experienced big imposter syndrome was when I was doing my interview for the SDR role. There was an assessment center. There were 15 mm -hmm. grads. I was the only girl in the room. We did the round robin of intros and yeah, they were all guys and all, you know, 
really, I guess, promoting their amazing degrees that they had. Yeah. And I was there going, hi, I'm Laura. I'm a ballet dancer. Um, and, you know, long story short with the assessment center, but we had to listen to a day's worth of presentations. At the end of the day, they brought us out a laptop. Bearing in mind, you know, we're, we're back in 2008 now. We had the PowerPoint and we had, to write our power, we had to write our PowerPoint presentation to present back the next morning about what we'd learned and basically pitch to become the SDR of this company. And I'd never used PowerPoint in my life. Okay. And I sat there, no joke, watching these 15 other guys with all their PowerPoint wizardry, smart art, animations, you name it, they had it going on. <laughs> and I just sat there with a white screen staring at me blank in the face. And I remember leaving that assessment day, I cried my eyes out, I called my mum, cried my eyes out and said, I'm not going back tomorrow to do a presentation because I haven't written one. And, you know, her advice was obviously, well, Laura, just hunker down on your strengths which for me was my presentation skills, you know, coming from the art. So I simply just wrote one word per slide on my presentation, relied on my presentation skills, yeah. and I got the job. So long story short, in terms of what that means for courage, that is my I owe it to moment. Yeah. You probably have that I owe it to moment where you can look back in your life where you go, I owe it to the Laura of 2008 to do this. Yeah. The Laura of 2008 found the courage. I can do this now. So I don't know whether you, you know, you've got an IO at two moment. I, I have one in mind, not personally mine, but like the one of my fiance, Ara, who's a co-host uh -huh. of this podcast, she lived the same thing as you. So it was, it was not really about the, um, it was in a different setup, but she basically, she's Mexican and mm -hmm. uh, she had got a, like a, hired in a company in Hamburg. And basically there was a problem with her visa and, you know, they hired her and then they said, okay, we can't, you know, we, we, we have to, we can't take you because... We found someone in Europe who can do the same job as yours, uh, mm -hmm. and so uh, and so that that was super hard. And basically, they told her just like that's the law; we can't do anything. So she had three weeks before her visa expired. So she had three weeks to find a job, and um, she just like you know she went crazy and like started sending uh, resumes and and just like applying everywhere. And then she got like uh, into the interview at Applause, which is where she works now, and that's where we met. And she interviewed also over there, did a bunch of interviews. And the last one, the workshop, was super hard because like, uh, yeah. you picture like uh, three German in a room uh, asking you a question. So they're asking question, not reacting. And so uh, she was like, she called her dad, cried also. And she was <laughs> like, okay, I'm sure I'm, I'm coming back to Mexico. I've just, you know, I didn't do my, my dream. And she got it actually. And same thing. See, it's, I, I owe it to, you know, she owed it to, to the Arab uh, three, four years ago. And uh, that's how we met. And now she, she's also close to one of the biggest commissions of the company, biggest deal. So, uh, yeah, that, that's yeah. This, this moment there. Yeah, was super nice. And I think always go back to that. And that's, that's what I mean by courage. We can all find the courage at certain points. But if you can remember your I owe it to moment. And the way I sometimes describe it, this is I did my first marathon a few years ago. And um, it was the hardest thing I've, thing I've ever done in my life. I'm not made for running, that's for sure. Um, and I remember at sort of mile 18, I was like, I can't, I, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do it. And so I was like, right, Laura, find, find your unstoppable imposter confidence ladder. What are the three C's? Courage. And my, uh, I owe it to moment in that instance was I owe it to the Laura that for the last six months in the winter months has been pounding the streets in the rain and the snow, putting in the training in, I owe it to that girl to finish this freaking marathon. Yeah. So yeah, find your I owe it to moment is going to help you find the courage. Amazing. I think that's, that, yeah. 
And I think the second part of the, the ladder, so courage, and then the second one is conviction. So as I said, focus on your strengths, not our weaknesses, our powers instead of our problems. Mm-hmm. I find journaling useful. Um, everyone's got their own way with it. But for me, writing down my superpowers is really useful. So in my case, going back to that story, I knew in that interview room, my superpower was my presenting skills. Mm-hmm. So I doubled down on that, not letting my weakness of a lack of PowerPoint skills stand in the way. Yeah. And then the last one is commitment. So, you know, I said, I welcome my struggles. I invite them in with an open door. And it's only by having weaknesses that I can continually learn and develop. Um, and when I, what I do is I think of them like a revolving door. When I welcome them in, I nurture them to a point that they're a strength, which allows room for another weakness to be evolved. Yeah. Um, and that's what, the, you know, I'm pretty darn good at PowerPoint now. Um, but it definitely was a weakness back in 2008. There are things that I'm going to be weak at now, but I'm going to keep improving on them until they become a strength and I can allow another weakness in. So yeah, hopefully that helps. I mean, it's a simple one, courage, conviction, commitment, but the big one for me is that courage because until you find that courage, you can't do the others. So find your I owe it to moment. That's really cool actually. Like, uh, and what I like is, um, you know, it's maybe this is, this is also what allowed you to get the job because you, you know, like the job of SDR is not to do slides and, and show that you can do like super nice animations is to present, like uh, ask questions, qualify and just like carry and represent your company. And so that's what, you know, they knew you had like basically blank, uh, like white slides with like uh, just text. So, you know, you had to rely on all the rest. And so that really helped. And as you said, then you just learned and now you know how to master PowerPoint and, uh, and that's something also like for me, I never thought about it as a framework, but it's something that I very often face where I try something and then I'm like, okay, I, th- I think, you know, either that I have a good level of understanding and then I realize I don't at all. And then I'm like, okay, I need to invest and learn way more, you know, so I, so I can be at level with the others basically. And so th- this is actually, then it makes, it makes life super interesting because you're always learning new stuff. And uh, I'm imagining, you know, I'm, like I'm looking who I was six months ago and now I see, okay, what I've done in six months, I'm like, I'm impressed by everything I learned. And I'm so much looking forward to who I've been six months. And in 40 years, like, that's going to be super interesting. So I think it's a, it's a super nice growth mindset framework. Yeah, and it's, it's super important, I think, when you're hiring as well. I think anyone listening to this that's in like a hiring manager capacity, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm sure we all look for, but for me is that I don't want to know it all in my team. I want what mm-hmm. I call a learn it all. Yeah. Um, I just want someone that's super curious, constantly wants to learn. I don't, ma- it doesn't matter if they don't know it all. That's absolutely fine. But if they want to learn it all, yes, I want you in my team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cur- curiosity, I think in sales is the, the one key, key thing you need, curiosity to be curious, especially now that, uh, you know, you have tools, sales and development tools that replace a lot of, uh, the job we were doing and mm-hmm. so i think being creative and, and curious is something super important and um yeah yeah just learning new stuff because what, what i always say is in sales development for example it's very much like a warfare technology where um you have let's say two camps some are just developing a weapon that works for some time and then they develop a counter weapon that uh, neutralizes weapon and then you develop another one it's just it's the same more or less i i didn't find a more peaceful uh, metaphor but Basically, what I found is prospects and, and salespeople were just like always trying to, to, to counter each other. And you, when you learn new techniques, you, you find new channels. You just like find this edge, but it's going to work for a few months and then you have to find another one. So 
yeah yeah super exactly and never more important what you've just said there than the current times that we're in right adaptability yeah so important and uh yeah no, I, th I think that's uh that's really good and so so one question for me would be so if you had to to give um an advice to your younger self you know you can choose whenever what's the time like maybe when you started dancing or maybe when you started selling so what would be this one advice you would be you would give yourself yeah i mean i think if i if i bring it to the context of of selling there'll be loads of lessons i'd tell my younger dancer self for sure but if i'll, I'll keep it in the context of, of of the sales world i think it would be to understand better the mutual respect and value between the seller and the buyer mm -hmm. i think i used to think it was all on me to give 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 but actually selling is about that delivery of mutual value. Um, and you know, for, for you as the, the salesperson, the increased value and revenue you bring to your company that you work for, but the value that the company is gonna gain from using your service. And I think never more important is that than today um, because w the world that we're living in right now, it's never been harder to sell, but it's also never been harder to buy. There's so much noise mm -hmm. out there and that means as salespeople, we need to qualify and test buyer intent harder than ever to avoid fob offs and you know our time essentially yeah. being being wasted. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, for example, you know, proposal writing. You know, quite often you'll you'll do your first discovery call or you've done your demo call, and then they say, "Yes, please send me a proposal," rather than just say, "Yes, no problem, I'll write you the proposal." It's a Absolutely, but let's co-create it so that it delivers yeah. exactly what you need. And what that's doing, it's testing buyer intent. So if they are just fobbing you off and wasting your time, you know about it. Yeah. And it's, it's making sure that your time is just as precious as theirs. So yeah, that, that would be my big lesson I, I'd have you know, told my younger self is to yeah. be a bit more precious with my time. And it's a, it's a mutual relationship yeah. and the value is mutual. That's, that's so true, actually. That's what I say whenever people say, send me an offer. Very often, it's the word the salesperson is waiting for, and the buyer knows it, you know? And they're like, okay, yeah. if I say, send me an offer, they will just close the call, send me an offer, and I can ghost them. So that's why it's uh, so important. And so now I have another question. So w let's say we're 10 years, uh, 10 years like in the future. future. Mm -hmm. What would be the advice uh, the Laura from 10 years would, would give to you now? that is a good question yeah. right what would i give the advice to my um do you know what it would be a lesson that i've learned during this sort of lockdown um period actually which is not just be so precious on my time when it comes to a sales context so this is more of a personal one actually just mm -hmm. about personal growth but to be more precious on my time outside of work i think i was the i was the woman that would go for 10,000 drinks after work with XYZ friends all the time. And I'd be burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. And what I've realized during this period in this time of reflection is that I'm actually quite comfortable just being on my own and you know, at home. And I feel so much better. My wellness has improved so much more because I'm getting great sleep. I'm exercising more. I'm not going for those drinks at nine o'clock after just leaving the office at 8.30. Mm -hmm. So just to be a bit more precious about my own time and not to say that I don't love my friends, but maybe I don't need to have a drink with them once a month. You know, yeah. maybe it can be every other month. And, and so yeah, I think that's, that's what I tell the, the law in her thirties now, if we're fast forwarding 10 years, 
I tell I tell myself just to be a bit more time precious with with yeah. what you really want. That's really nice. I really like that. I'll also answer the question myself. You know, for what I would sell to me, to, to yeah. me, I'd say just be patient. You know, like what you're you're feeling now. You know, in ten years, you know, we'll look back to it and we'll be like, this was an opportunity to grow, mm. and yeah. just like keep pushing while you can. Like enjoy the uh, fr- like the the space that has been made by the situation we have right now, where we don't need to, uh, you know, like there's, there's a lot less to miss out. You know, the fear of missing out is not as present as before. So now is the time to invest because no matter what, if you have nothing to do, like there's nothing super interesting to do. You know, you can't just do what you were, everything you were doing before. And so really is like, just, you know, put your head down, work right now. And whenever you can, you know, like celebrate being back to, to a life that, that is more normal, then you'll be at a level that that would have taken you 10 years to reach, you know, yeah. if you had all these distractions. I so, love that. Uh, that, that. Now I'm just actually super motivated because I, I you know, I tell this to, to me every day and I'm like, that makes t- tons of sense. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a real power of perspective in what you've just said there. You know, the power of perspective at times like this is, is hugely, hugely transformational. And I think, you know, the, the power of perspective in, in the world that we're living in right now but also just perspective on your life and what is meaningful for you and make sure that you're doing meaningful work, that you're spending meaningful, meaningful time with the ones that you love yeah. um, is super important. Exactly. Exactly. Good. So that, that was super cool. Like really nice conversation. Often, yeah. you know, it's, we go into very tactical, it was tactical, but like often it's, it's just very technical and, and there was also more inspirational. So I really loved it. Um, so if people want to know more about you, get in touch with you, hear about you look at you also like uh, talking with uh, Enrique you know because you do breakfast in bed uh, very often where can they can they get in touch with you yeah of course I mean LinkedIn follow me on LinkedIn uh, that's probably the easiest way to, to get in touch um, as I said my, my husband Enrique and I we're both uh, revenue leaders in SaaS companies so we've set up a, a YouTube channel called SaaS Marriage um, we often post quite comedic videos we're trying to make it slightly funny where we do breakfast in bed um with various different leaders um and various different topics so that's always quite fun um so yeah linkedin i've been more than happy to talk to you know anyone in terms of how i can help you with this topic or just any other thing else that's i guess in my area of expertise or zone mm-hmm. of genius of yeah SaaS revenue selling so you probably don't want to ask me about i don't know medicine or biology that's you're not going to get much of a fruitful conversation there um okay. yeah re- hit me up on linkedin perfect okay. perfect i'll add you to the um to the uh, episode notes so people can uh, <laughs> can that good oh. so thanks so much for coming on the show laura that was super nice uh learned a ton i love the framework uh, courage convince commit commitment sorry so it's a super nice framework and you should actually do an online course or something about it i think could be really <laughs> I mean, a lot of people would really would love to hear more about that. I really like it. Oh, thank you. No, I've, I've really, really enjoyed this. And I think, you know, as you said, if there's one thing people take away, just have a think about, you know, after you've listened to this, what's your I owe it to moment? And when you can visualize that, I promise you, no matter what your situation, you'll find the courage. Exactly. Cool. Good. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Have cool. a good weekend and a good day. You too. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye-bye.